Hey guys, you're listening to Totally Stoked Podcast with Amelia Travis, yoga teacher and wild child turned multi-six-figure business coach, writer, speaker, and spiritual warrior. Totally Stoked is an experiment in radical honesty. On this show, there's only two rules, show up and tell the truth. Each week, we share uncensored, truth-telling, shame-busting conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, visionaries, and modern-day mystics revealing their rise to thrive stories, current challenges, and sharing their most powerful tools for awakening, growth, and well-being. This is your place to let down your guard, open your heart, and remember that being human is a crazy, wild ride, but you don't have to do it alone. So buckle up, baby, because we're heading full speed ahead to radical self-love and a totally stoked life. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back to Totally Stoked Podcast. My guest today is a guiding light and mentor to visionary entrepreneurs, healers, and thought leaders. This woman masterfully navigates the intersection of science and spirituality, mystery and magic to help individuals take back control of their work and lives. She merges new age quantum physics, metaphysics, and science into our day-to-day dealings to create meaningful change. And she's, in my opinion, an enigma who believes labels are for jars and not people. But you guys were confined to the boundaries of language. So I will say this woman is an international keynote speaker, an executive coach, leadership development professional, self-proclaimed queen of transformation, and I have to say I agree, a creative soul adventurer, a theorist, and a provocateur of change and agent of philosophy. Her introduction doesn't quite do her justice, but it's the best we can do in words. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Catherine Plano. Catherine, so glad you're here. Thank you so much. What an introduction. I am filled with goosebumps right now. I feel very honored and blessed. Thank you so much. You, you really, Catherine interviewed me a few weeks ago for her show, um, and I was just absolutely struck by her presence. This is a woman who practices the art of radical presence. And when you're with someone who does that, you know, right? Because they're there with you so deeply in the conversation. And it's something that in an increasingly digitally connected world is often missing. Um, And I was really excited to speak with you. There was a lot of parallels in our conversation that time. Um, And I went and I stalked you a little bit on the internet before and after. And I was just I've told a lot of people about you since then, Catherine, because I was just really impacted by how you're redefining leadership and you're really working to shatter kind of old paradigms of what leadership looks like. And you're doing this gap bridging of the places between science and spirituality and leadership. And you're, you're kind of creating a whole new um, way of approaching how we tap into our potential power, how we how we um, awaken and elevate our own consciousness for the betterment of, of all mankind, which is a pretty lofty thing to, to do with your life. No, Mm, absolutely. And I think it's funny. I was just having this conversation with my sister the other day. And when we're talking about leadership, it's being more conscious. And I think that, um, because there was this big thing about the, uh, she was part of the climate march, the, um, just Mm -hmm. the other day. And it was, absolutely fabulous the the amount of people that actually rocked up to this event and 
And I was just explaining to her that, you know, part of us leading the way is to be more conscious. And I think that what I mean by that is <clears throat> only we can lead our own life. And leadership doesn't sit in a corporation. It sits in every aspect of our life. Whether you're a mother at home, you're leading your family, you're leading your way. Uh, and it's leadership to me is about consciousness. And consciousness is to be present. And, you know, we are a field of... Uh, stories and, and past programs that we live over and over again and you know in the neuroscience actually proves this that that most of the time we are say 95 to 98 percent of the time we're unconscious mm. we're actually not conscious of what we are doing what we are saying and so forth so just by raising the conscious level of every single human being on this planet we will raise the vibration of the planet. And when I'm saying the consciousness, will we be more conscious about what we're doing to the planet, more conscious of what we are putting in our, in our body, more conscious of what we are saying, more conscious of our thoughts and our feelings, so then we can make these massive transformation in our life. So leadership is everywhere. Catherine, how did you get into this uh, path that you're on now of, of mentoring leaders? What's your background? My background is in corporation uh, and uh, I started um, in corporation in my 20s, very young, and um, I was also then a mother uh, in a corporation uh, and back then it was in telecommunications, so it was very male domineering and, um, and it was very hard to... Um, to climb the corporate ladder because there was the things that I was experiencing was guilt, guilt of uh, not being there when my son needed me because uh, he had to go to preschool and aftercare and so forth. And, but then also feeling guilty of uh, not just feeling guilty, but also the, um, I guess there's a lot of shame as well, being a woman climbing the corporate ladder, but having these uh, individuals around me saying, what are you doing? You should be at home with your child. But this is not a place for you. And so there was something in me that um, just, you know, basically said, Catherine, you know, I've got your back here. You know, keep going. And I remember before I even, if I, if I backtrack a little bit, before I got into the corporate arena, I know that at the time I wanted to, uh, and telecommunications didn't even, like the internet didn't even exist then. But mm -hmm. if, if, if I look back at, I wanted to get into an environment that was new and I was, I have a very curious mind. Mm -hmm. So and for me, it was more so, how do you speak to people on the other side of the world and they don't have to be in the same place as you? And that was like really intriguing for me. So I actually uh, went to a uh, school and did a, uh, it was a four years uh, uh, diploma of information, uh, IT, information technology or something like that. And it so wasn't what I expected. But I remember I went to a recruitment agent and he said to me, don't waste your time. You will never get a role in telecommunications. And I remember driving home that night. I was bawling my eyes out. Um, and something, I don't know what it was, something came over me and said, who does this guy think he is telling you what you can and can't do with your life? And I went, I'll show him. Mm -hmm. So this is how I then pushed through, got into telecommunications just to prove this man wrong. And I ended up in a corporation. Um, and then when I did, I actually wrote him a letter with the, t the, the heading of the company that I, <laughs> that I was working for. 
saying thank you so much for your inspiration and for not believing in me because without you not believing in me, I wouldn't have pushed so hard to be where I am today. So I think that that started my leadership journey. It really does start with us. And how long did you stay in corporate before shifting out, branching out on your own as an entrepreneur? Um, not that long. I would say probably a good seven years or so. And I think for, for the reason I got out of it was more so that I felt the, the environments were very toxic, uh, very competitive. Um, I felt there, were, there was a lot of ego in these kind of environments. Uh, and I could see the potential, but when you want to um, share your knowledge or uh, change something in such a large corporation, there are so many layers that you have to get through. Mm -hmm. And you could only do that if you were at the top. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to leave. And what I did though, I did plan ahead of time. I thought I'm going to save money, which I did. And I thought to myself, I'm going to give myself 12 months to prove myself that I can do this and I don't need to have a corporation to back me up. I can do this. So I did. I took the plunge, went out on my own. The scariest thing I've ever done in my life uh, because you don't have the corporation that back you up. You don't have people that do your marketing for you, your sales. I had to do it all myself. Mm -hmm. So the biggest learning curve. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious because you said you were experiencing a lot of mom guilt and, and shaming when you were in the corporate work environment as a, as a new mom. Um, and I identify with that so deeply. And it's interesting because I'm not in a corporate job. I work for myself, but I still have that experience of mom guilt about just being in this office for, you know, eight hours a day, Never mind that I'm the breadwinner and I'm providing for my family and it's really important. Also, I'm following my dreams and setting an example for my children of what it looks like to be passionate. But did you feel a shift in that mom guilt when you went from the corporate environment to working for yourself or were you still uh, feeling that? Sorry, that's my dog in the background. Sorry okay. about that. He wants to be uh, interviewed too. Yeah, I know. Um, so could you repeat that? I'm so sorry. That's all right. The mom guilt you were experiencing when you were in your corporate job, when you left and struck out on your own, did that shift? Were you able to have more time for your family or was it just kind of the same thing? You were still maybe even working harder than before. Um, did the mom guilt go with you? Because I feel like that's something a lot of women can relate to. And a lot of women that listen to my show are entrepreneurs. And it's like, we're trying to raise the family to be good wives and good mothers, but also to either run the side hustle or launch the business or work the full-time job. And it's, mm, it's yeah. an impossible, it feels sometimes like an impossible thing to juggle all of it. And, and no matter, no matter what we're doing, we've got the guilt, right? Like I have friends who are moms who are stay at home moms and theirs is not necessarily they have mom guilt about different things, but they have shame around not working and not being mm. in that. So do you feel like that shifted when you went off on your own or is it something you've just had? To a work little through? bit, not a, 
Yeah, I would say a little bit, not a lot. I think that it shifted because what had happened was I was, there was more flexibility. So I was able to drop my son off or pick him up. Uh, whereas before it was preschool. So there was the guilt about dropping him off at 7.30 in the morning and then picking him up at, you know, 6 o'clock or 6.30 at night. So there was such a long day for such a little boy. Uh, so when I did uh, go out on my own, I was more available Um and I think I work twice as hard though, because it's like, and it's interesting how it's a bit of a paradigm shift because when you are then shifting from working a corporation and then moving to home, there's that level of also guilt for being at home. And so you're putting this extra time by, you know, making sure that there's going to be food and there's going to be all the washing done and everything is done so that when uh, my partner came home, it was all done. So it just looked like I wasn't sitting there not doing anything because they had no idea all the work I was doing behind the scene to try to get this business up off of the ground, which was really, really hard and very taxing. Um, but that's why I experienced burnout because of that very thing. I was just trying to be too many uh, different things for different people, you know, a mother or a wife, a business owner. It was just too hard. I couldn't juggle all, all of them. I couldn't. So I want to hear you talk about that burnout a little bit because I feel like it's something that I've been coming up against just in the last few months, really. Um, and I had to work through, I had to really work through the mom guilt of feeling like I was letting my family down. And I'm, I'm sitting here smiling and laughing because believe you me, the dishes are not done. <laughs> the laundry is not done. My husband does those things, bless his heart. And, uh, sometimes I do them, but often I don't. Um, and I feel like I've come up to this place where I'm like, I actually can't hold it all. So what did that look like for you when you reached burnout? Was it in your entrepreneur life? Um, and what did you do about it? So it was back in 2011 mm-hmm. and um, I was in New York and I had a panic attack. I'd never even heard of what a panic attack was. I actually thought I was having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I got taken to the hospital by ambulance and it wasn't until I got in the ambulance because obviously it's it only um, a, a someone of, um, uh, you know, that caliber that can read the, you know, the heart can only tell because a heart attack and a panic attack uh, from an outside point of view come across exactly the same. It's not till they put you on the machine that he was able to let me know I was having a panic attack. Well, I had no idea what that was, but I spent the day in the hospital and then coming back uh, to Melbourne, my life changed. And I still, to this day, say it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was a gift um, because it was definitely, uh, it put me to my knees. It stopped me in my tracks. I couldn't even leave the house. And I did a lot of writing, which helped me uh, come out of it. But I had 12 months of panic attacks purely because I get pushing the boundaries, pushing and pushing, uh, you know, trying to make things work and please everybody. So it wasn't about me, it was about pleasing my son. It was about pleasing everybody in my business. It was about pleasing my partner. I completely left myself out of the equation. Where it's today, it's so different. So different. What was your um, what was your business like during that period when you burned out? What were you What were you doing for work? What did an average day look like? I know a lot of people that struggle with adrenal fatigue, burnout panic attacks. And I'm just hoping maybe they can 
find themselves a little bit in this story before they get to that point. So what was an average day like? You say you were trying to please everyone, but what did that look like in, in detail? Yeah. So I think as an entrepreneur, what had happened was at the start and very at the start. Now, now I, I've become better at saying no. I was the yes woman. So you come to mm -hmm. me with an idea. Yeah, sounds great. Let's do it. So I had all of these projects on the go. And I'm talking about maybe like, you know, a good six projects. So I'd be going from one meeting to another. And, you know, but, but then what had happened was I realized I was doing most of the work. Mm -hmm. And so there wasn't, it wasn't like we were collaborating. I was doing a lot of the creation. So that's the difference. The difference for anyone out there that is starting a business. I now, I would always say, and even to the people I work today, think twice about saying yes, mm -hmm. sleep on it, give yourself some time to digest the information and ask yourself, is this aligned with my goals? in my, where I'm heading. And I think that I'm big on creating a vision board. And every year I create th three things that I'm going to focus on. And it helps me keep me on track because if I get somebody that comes to me and goes, Hey, let's do this. And you, I get it all the time. I'm sure you do too. Let's collaborate. Let's do some stuff together. And now I say, let me check in with my vision board. I don't say that to them, but I'm to myself. Let me check in with my vision board. I say, I'll just say, look, can I sleep on it or think about it? I'll get back to you. But what I'm actually doing is looking at my vision board and saying, is this aligned with where I want to head for the 2019? And if it's not, I kindly decline and say, thank you so very much for thinking of me, but I'm going to have to say no. Mm -hmm. I think this is super, super important. And I'm smiling like this. You guys can't see, but I have a silly little smirk on my face because it's taken me five years in entrepreneurship to learn that hey, want to collaborate, it's like, to me, it's now like a red flag. Like I'm like, whoop, slow down. Because Catherine, exactly what you just said, which is that so often, and the high achievers will recognize themselves in this. If in grade school, when it came time to do a group project, you were the one that wanted to get an A, so you were willing to carry more of the burden to do more of the work if people were always copying off of paper that carries into adulthood and it comes you know people say hey that woman's really a go-getter like she's doing something amazing i want to collaborate with her and especially when we are still developing the self-confidence we tend to want to say yes to everything but it took me five years of saying yes to everything to learn that pretty much every single time it would be me I'm putting it in quotes, collaborating and then doing 90% of the work and then giving away 50% of the profit. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> so now I, I, I actually kind of have a rule that I don't collaborate. I'm a little bit of a lone wolf. And, you know, there are, I still work with partners on particular projects, but the actual ownership of the project remains one person's or the other's. And it doesn't always have to be mine. You know, I'll say, I would love to participate in your endeavor, but that is your endeavor in which you will carry the risk and you are responsible for the marketing and you are responsible for everything. And yes, I'd love to come and guest teach in for my flat rate of whatever the fee is. Um, and I feel like that's something that takes people a really long time to learn. So I love your advice of sleep on it. How do you feel about collaboration for entrepreneurs now? Do you still do things in partnership or have you, have you yeah. come out of that? 
As, so the way I look at it is I always say um, as long as we're all using our superpowers, so we all have strengths and I am a bit of a go-getter, very much an ideas person, creative and innovator. Uh, and so, for example, uh, if I had to do something where it's um, – I have to really uh, be detailed and process spread, spreadsheets, those kind of things. I know that's not my sweet spot. So for me, that's probably an opportunity, but I'm, why waste my energy in something that I'm not really passionate about? So when I collaborate with others, it's got to be that we all bring our superpowers. And so what we do and what's worked well is creating a bit of a mastermind group where we all sit around and we come up with this idea, but we put our ideas on the table together and then we pick what um, what we're going to do as part of our collaboration. So one might do the design, one might do the writing, one might do so it's so that it's there's an evenness in everything that we do. So we're putting um, uh, our time and energy. There's it's equal time and energy that we're putting into the project. So and then we meet on a regular basis. Those kind of collaborations work well when you're actually using your superpowers and you're sharing your ideas. And so one idea, you know, it could be that six months ago you came up with an idea, but because you've collaborated so well, the idea has flourished into something completely different. Mm -hmm. So as long as everyone's using their superpowers and it's even time and equal time and energy on a project, then they work well. So that just sparks the question in me, as you coach people and as you mentor and as you've done a lot of this work yourself, how do we know what our superpowers are? I think it, I have some ideas, but I would love to hear how you actually coach people into this because I know one of the things that my uh, clients and, and even people who are just thinking about launching a business or haven't started yet, um, they often get kind of stuck in this area of how do I know what I'm good at or how do I know what I want to do? So what would you tell somebody mm -hmm. about discovering their superpowers? So there's so many ways. So there's assessment you can do. Uh, I, I feel that um, I love Enneagram. Have you heard of Enneagram? Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with Enneagram. Yes. What, is, what is yours? So I'm a number seven. Oh, me too. Of course. Okay. So yeah, of course we are. I'm a number seven, but then obviously my stretch would be uh, a number one. So this is what I'm talking about, the detail. So you can get assessments done because sometimes our superpowers reside in that deeper part of our unconscious mind. And so without the, the assessments even, you could actually go, what I say is go and ask your friends and your peers to pick one word that best describes your superpower. Mm -hmm. or your personal brand because a lot of the times it's other people that will tell you what you are naturally good at mm -hmm. so or what do people say to you that you are naturally good at so it'd be like Catherine you're good at this you always come up like with creative ideas or my sister used to say you've just got that mind that it doesn't matter what topic we talk about you can turn into a business Mm -hmm. because that's my mindset. So I know that just from the feedback I'm getting and going out there and asking for the feedback, if you were to describe me in one word, what's my personal brand or what's my superpower, people will let you know. Mm -hmm. So that's a great way without doing assessments of finding out what your superpower is because it's something that's innate and natural to us. We don't have to think twice about it. It's just an unconscious behavior and we just go ahead with it uh, and we probably wouldn't think twice about it. That's how we can identify a superpower. 
Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like people have a difficult time um, acknowledging their own gifts until, like you're saying, somebody else holds the mirror and reminds you of what it is that you're amazing at. One of the areas of specialty that you have is helping people believe in themselves. So especially with women, and I work mostly with women, uh, women often believe that you know it's too late to do this idea because somebody else has already done it or um, other people know better than them or somehow that that they're doing it wrong, right? There's this prevailing idea amongst women that we're doing it wrong, whatever it is. I'm doing motherhood wrong. Other mothers are doing it better. I'm doing marriage wrong. Other people are doing it better. I'm doing my job wrong or my spirituality or my sex life or whatever it is. We always are thinking that we're doing it wrong. So in your calling, in your, in your, um, in your coaching and in the way that you support people, how do you help people believe in themselves? So first we, we I, I, I reverse engineer everything that I do. So I go back and go understanding what are your belief systems? So we talk about, right, you know, what, what are your belief systems around life? Like you were saying, what are your belief systems around sex? What are your belief system around career? Whatever that may be. What are your belief systems around money? Because it's really important to unpack our belief systems because 95 to 99% of the time, those belief systems are not even ours. They're being passed on or programmed into us from a very young age so if you have a look at the way that we develop from the time we are born right up to the age of seven this is our imprinting phase so basically everything that goes on in our environment we download as our reality so it's you know from what our parents um, were telling us what our parents were experiencing from what we experienced on uh, at school what we watched on tv what we read about that was we create our reality and then as we moved on to the next phase from the age of seven to 14, this is our modeling phase. So basically we copied other people. So how old your children? He's almost three. Yeah. Okay. So he's not quite at that age. Guy. He's imprinting. Yeah. He's imprinting. That's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And so, and we, we, you hear people say that children at, at that age are like a sponge. Exactly. But then when they get to that modeling phase, I remember my son, he had to wear the same shoes, the same clothes as his mates because he was modeling somebody that he looked up to. And then in our next phase from 14 to 21, this is where we go through our socialization. So we are very much, this is our rebellious years where we turn away from our parents because we are now uh, are looking at where do I fit in society? Mm -hmm. And so we're very influenced by our social groups and um, uh, uh, social media and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, the point to, to all of this is we need to understand that as part of our development phase, as part of us developing uh, into the human being that we are today, these are old programs. And so these belief systems, we unpack them first. Once, go on. Oh, I got to ask you a clarifying question about that because I know that often we're not even conscious of our belief systems. So it sometimes takes having somebody on the outside to ask the right questions to discover what our belief systems are. And when it comes to believing in ourselves, when you're talking about reverse engineering, what I'm hearing you say is that one way that you might start to figure out how to believe in yourself is actually starting with the opposite, right? So yeah. 
So for, so for example, noting something that you want to do, Catherine, I want to, um, speak on three big stages next year. And then you might say to me, okay, tell me all the reasons that you can't do that or what's standing in your way. And then that might help me actually discover the belief systems or the old programming, as you're saying, because I would tell you whatever it is, I'm too chubby or I'm too, you know, nobody's going to give me a stage because I don't have enough social media followers or whatever it is. Right. And then we can kind of extract maybe from those statements, more of like the foundation of what our belief systems actually are. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to ask, that's great. So what would get in your way? What would stop you achieving that goal? Because you need to understand that it's basically baggage. If we don't get rid of the baggage and then we're just trying to work with a client or an entrepreneur that want to do, let's say, public speaking for an example, and then you're trying to help them move forward, but you haven't gotten rid of the baggage, these, these baggage, um, you know, these will pop up. It's almost like uh, I always I call them like, you know, the, um, what do they call those balloons, that the party balloons where they blow the, um, the gas in it? What's it called? Um, helium. Oh, helium balloons. You know, mm -hmm. you can push them down, but they'll come creeping up. Mm -hmm. And so you keep pushing them down. But if you get allow them to let them go and get rid of like what would get in your way, what would stop you achieving that? Mm -hmm. um, then you can actually start really and it's great because we do a lot of brainstorming sessions when we understand where our beliefs come from and ask, it could be as simple as where does that belief come from mm -hmm. and just allow them to just you know, you know let it all out it's amazing because once you you can, it's almost like um when you're doing a bit of a brain dump uh, or a brainstorm it's amazing how a whole lot of stuff comes out and then you can see it in their physiology they get this real oh, I can't believe I've been carrying that my whole life. And once they let go, then you can start working on the goal. But you need to get rid of the baggage first. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so as you started talking about your beliefs, uh, your um, stages of development, right, imprinting and modeling and socialization, it sounds like this is informed by science. It sounds like you know what you're talking about. So... Um, how does understanding the way that our, I mean, obviously understanding the, the way that our brain works gives us more ability to work with it instead of against it. Um, but, you know, understanding the neuroscience of change, you're an expert in helping people change. And I'm really curious about that because, you know, you started by saying, okay, figuring out what would stop you from achieving a goal, identifying where the belief comes from. And then how do we actually get to sh the shift? How do we actually get to replacing the old programming with new programming? Because that's where, you know, yep. that's what people want ultimately. So how the hell do we change our brains so that we can live the lives that we want? Yeah. So first of all, is once you've gotten rid of all the baggage, so basically if you go back to, let's say, neuroscience, you're actually removing stuff from the unconscious, making it conscious to be able to create that transformation. So once you bring things to the conscious, and this is going back to what we were talking about, 95% or 98% of us are walking around every day living with these old programs. If we can bring a lot more like, and it could be as simple as, Stop to think what you're thinking about. Hmm. Challenge your thinking. Stop to think about how you're feeling. Challenge your feelings. 
if you think about the way our, you know, majority of our society is these days, we're just going around in circles and we're on this treadmill going a thousand miles an hour and we're not able to stop or pause mm -hmm. to act actually. And so there's a lot of neuroscience and there's a lot of research now that talks about the important importance of mindfulness to actually be still and present to be able to make those shifts. That's the only time you can make those shifts is as long as you're present and you are mindful about your thoughts, about your beliefs, then you can create those shifts. Once you've gotten rid of your baggage, the, the question that I find, you know, amazing that people get stuck on is what stuck on is what do you want? Mm -hmm. Really specific. What is it that you want? Some people can't even verbalize it because they never had to think about, and especially women, I find, find it really hard to verbalize what they want because they've been so preoccupied with family or work or whatever that may be. And, you know, quite often I get the response, well, Catherine, I don't know what I want. I've never mm -hmm. had to think about it. So it's as simple as knowing exactly what you want. Once you know exactly what you want, then we build on that. We really, it's like starting with a blank canvas. So you want to be on a stage. What stage? What exactly are you wearing? Where are you? Are you in Italy on a stage? Are you doing a TED talk? Are you on a cruise doing a, a, a talk? Be very specific and bring it to life because the more we can bring it to life, the more we can invoke those feelings, the more we're attracting it. You know, and there's also research that uh, uh, the HeartMath Institute in the US have been experimenting of how emotions, um, uh, how uh, emotions uh, affect our health. And so when we have a look at it, when through their research, they have found that our heart emits electromagnetic fields mm -hmm. uh, depending on our emotions. So the more that we can start feeling our way through life, this is like we're attracting we're becoming magnetic. We're attracting those very things into our life. But we are so distant from that. We are so cut off from that because we're just living in this old program and this whirlwind of just getting by. So you're talking about the science behind manifestation and the idea that and this is interesting because I'm very familiar with this topic, but I hadn't heard about the research specifically of heart math and and the fact that when we're in the vibration of gratitude or love or appreciation or joy, which by the way, is just as real in your imagination as it is in actual sensory experience. But when we're in that, it's emitting a different electromagnetic field or a different vibration and that that calls it back to us. Now- yes. Okay, I'm not a scientist, so when it comes to quantum physics, I'm pretty um, pretty illiterate, but I, I do know that there's something called the observer effect. Effect, that's Can right. Can you explain yeah. that just a little bit for us? Absolutely. So it's, it, if, to put it in something that's tangible for us, and I always um, explain it this way so people get it, because quantum physics can be a little bit complex. The best way to look at it is that... You can have a look at any situation, any scenario. The observer effect is the fact that we observe the situation with our lens. We can affect what we see 
and therefore affect how we behave towards it and get those results back. So for example, if you think about a thought, we're projecting our thought into the universe, let's say. So we're broadcasting our thought into the universe. What brings it back to us is our feeling and that's the heart when we're talking about a heart emits electromagnetic fields. We are attracting it back into our reality. So the observer effect is how we see any situation. So for example, if I see a certain scenario with a particular lens, I will always challenge it and go, what else could that mean? What I do, I'm then loosening the boundaries of what I see, but I'm opening up my mindset to see in different ways. Mm -hmm. So the observer effect will change depending on the meaning you give what you are looking at. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. And I know that the initial, the initial experiment that uh, gave, you know, scientific grounding to the observer effect had something to do with a, an actual particle not existing until somebody looked for it, right? So there was this really cool scientific experiment behind it where um, something actually did not exist until someone was looking for it. Now, I don't know how they measured that, but I, I know that it sounds like magic and it's, it's actually science. I think what I loved about what you said is, what else could this mean? Yeah. Because I've noticed this and I'm going to put it in super simple layman's terms when it comes to something like losing my car keys, right? I, for a moment, I can't find my keys or they're not in the usual place. Now my thoughts can go in any number of directions, but two ways that they'll normally go are either, oh, I'm sure my keys are actually in my other purse or, oh shit, I've lost my car keys. In my experience, and you could credit this to intuition or you could credit it to the observer effect, but whichever one I decide is what it is. And, you know, some people will be like, okay, whatever. That's just, you know, something that you've noticed. But I find that it also applies to all kinds of situations. Like if I'm perceiving negativity in other people, but I stop to ask myself, what else could this mean? Well, this could mean that this person is experiencing grief or, or challenges in their own life right now. Let me inquire a little bit deeper into what they're experiencing and show them love. Let me assume that other people always have the best intentions toward me and want the best for me. And situations that seem really negative or like I'm not going to get what I want out of it will seem like they miraculously transform into where I do get what I want, right? So I think the challenge with this though, Catherine, is staying in that kind of awareness when life takes a shit on you. Mm. So how do you personally, how do you stay in this as a practice to stop to think what you're thinking about, challenge your thinking, stop to notice how you're feeling, challenge your feelings and ask yourself, what else could this mean? You have like a little bracelet that reminds you to do this. Do you have alarms set on your phone or how did you come into this as a way of being? You can, you can do that. Like, so I say to people, if you want to wear a, like an elastic band, because if you do it, so for example, to train your brain, uh, it takes, there's, there's research, it takes 21 days, consecutive days to create a new neural pathway in your brain. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, let's say you lose your keys. What naturally happens when we lose our keys is that 
we're going to a panic attack. You know, oh my God, I lost my keys. Where are they? And I can't find them. So basically what happens is you're shutting down your, your I call it the leadership part of your brain, your prefrontal cortex. You are shutting that down because you're in now in a state of emotion looking for your keys and you can't think straight. And what happens is that sometimes what actually uh, people experience is they can't see their keys because they're blinded by their emotions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they'll go and they've walked past their keys, but they haven't been able to see them because they're all, um, you know, uh, worked on about losing their keys. And so because they're thinking, I've lost my keys, the brain goes, well, I've lost my keys. You can't see your keys. Mm -hmm. But if you know that, let's say you misplace your keys, I know that I, if I get into an emotional state, my brain won't function in a way where I'm able to find my keys. And I go, okay, they will come to me or I will find them. I've just got to just backtrack. It's just like when you talk to somebody and you forget um, a particular word and I'm like, oh, I can't remember, can't remember. What I say is like, it will come to me. Mm-hmm. So you're actually getting out of your way. So with this is what I do. So I keep going, get out of your way, Catherine. You know you'll get them or you'll know it come to you or you'll find them. So it's a practice that I've been doing for quite some time. Do I get it right all the time? No. Am I, am I a perfect human being? No, absolutely not. Do I forget to do this? Absolutely I forget to do this. It just, just depends on my day. Do I have a trick, an elastic band? No. But I do uh, recommend that for the first 21 days to train yourself to start becoming more conscious. Absolutely. Do whatever works for you. There is no magic trick. It's what, if you want to set an alarm, whatever, it's up to you. Like some people, uh, some of my clients have been really clever and I get them to come up with it. Whatever works for you, they have their alarm in the morning and it's like, just remain conscious. So they setting that daily intention. So they're creating that that pathway for themselves every day for 21 days. Some of them have got this, you know, 21 day, which I have a 21 day chart, which I'm happy to share with you. Well, you just put a star or tick it when you've done, okay, I've done two days, three days. So it keeps them on track. Mm-hmm. And do you encourage your clients to just use those simple guidelines of stop to think what you're thinking about, stop to notice how you're feeling and then challenging both of those things and inquiring into the meaning that you are creating. Absolutely. It's always the meaning we give any situation. It's the observer effect. Whatever meaning we give any situation, it is what it's the results that we will get. So for example, I always say challenge your thinking, challenge your feelings. So if you have a certain uh, thought about someone or feeling towards someone, uh, ask you, wh- where does these thoughts come from? Uh, where do these feelings come from? You know, we have so many unconscious biases, and I was just talking about this uh, the other day. There's one uh, called the confirmation bias. So basically the confirmation bias is always seeking uh, evidence uh, and information, like gathering information so it's aligned with your belief system. Mm-hmm. So the brain is very, very clever at how it works, it's, but it's automatic. So what we want to do is not allow it to be so automatic. I mean, it's great for some parts. Like imagine if we had to think about driving. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's great that some parts is great that it's automatic, that we don't have to think about, okay, first gear, second gear, mm-hmm. we do things automatic. But then there's other stuff that we need to really slow down. And slowing down, present, being present, is the biggest key in any way um, that, you know, any form. If you want to shift anything, 
any aspect of your life, you need to be present within that area. I'm just laughing because if you guys have been listening to the show this season, you have probably heard at least four or five of the most powerful guests on this show tell you that you need to slow down. And I'm over here like, is the universe trying to give me a message? <laughs> because slowing down can feel really challenging. Um, it feels like we're going to miss out. It feels like... Um, there's just so much to do every single day. And, and so what are your practices that help you slow down? What are some tangible things that we can do to slow down? Yeah. So I just wanted to kind of add something to what you were talking about. I always use, cause I'm a visual person. And when I share this, if you think about, uh, and I was in uh, over in Europe, uh, in France. I'm, I'm French, so I was visiting my family in France. And they have a train that goes really fast. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a car or a train that goes really fast and you're looking out the window, you can't really see the beautiful trees and what's around you. But when you are going slower in your car or in the train and actually observing the view around you, you can see so much more. So this is like an analogy I always use. What I do on a day practice is I do meditate every day. So I think I was sharing that with you earlier on. I get up at 4, 4.30 and I meditate every single day. Mm -hmm. uh, it helps me set my day. Then I will set an intention for the day. So it could be as simple as I'm going to be more conscious today or I'm going to, and especially if I've had a bit of a... Um, a moment where it's been really crazy, really busy, which can happen. And, uh, and then I realized, oh my God, I haven't been conscious for the last two days. Then I'll mm -hmm. focus on bringing it back to building that muscle again and being more conscious. Mm -hmm. uh, journaling is a big thing for me because it helps me also. And journaling is writing without thinking. It's allowing your consciousness to create words on paper. It's not like you have to really uh, think about what you're writing. Sometimes I just even doodle. But I'm, I'm helping myself by emptying my head on paper mm -hmm. and then I set my intention. And it could even be that today I'm going to listen more and be present because it's amazing that I know that when I was uh, with my son and because uh, I was a single mom for quite some time as well and he'd talk about school but I'd be cooking, I wasn't really being present. I'm going, yes, dear, yes, dear, and I'd be cutting carrots or whatever that may be. But the moment that I stopped doing the very thing because we – it's true. You can't multitask. It's, it's impossible, but I actually was present with him. I learned so much more about his day. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just, uh, meditation, uh, being mindful, journaling, setting an intention is what keeps me on track. So, yeah, I really appreciate that you said that about multitasking. And for anyone who took, took issue with that a little bit and you're like, I can multitask. You know, one thing that's very interesting that I learned early on in, in yoga teacher training and meditation is that the brain can actually only hold one thought at a time. So even though you may have a thousand of them a second, it seems, it's actually only having one at a time. And it's this exact principle that makes meditation possible because meditation is the uninterrupted flow of concentration. So it's choosing to remain fully present, fully attuned to a mantra or to the breath or to a focal point or whatever it is to the exclusion of all else until that concentration on the one 
thing that you're focusing on becomes an uninterrupted flow and it removes the separation between subject and object or it basically allows you to be one with whatever the object of is of your meditation is so i appreciate that you said that example about being with your son because first it's like convicts me of you know um just being more present the first thing that i said when i introduced you is that i was very impacted by your attention and presence and i could feel it even though we were in an audio meditation or uh, interview i could feel how present you were with me in that moment um your your uh, expression that you just gave also just made me really curious what was your intention today if you don't mind sharing my intention today was to uh actually i've my husband's been away and so, and it's been really interesting because I was just sharing this and I'm happy to share this. Um, my husband's been away and uh, my son just moved out probably about seven months ago. And so it's the first time in my life, as in from 25 years, that I've actually been on my own. Mm -hmm. And I have gone through such a large, massive transformation just by being on my own having no one to talk to really, having the time for myself. But today was like enjoying this last day. So my intention was enjoying the bliss that I've experienced, enjoying the, the journey, just ex enjoying me, which uh, I know is going to change as of tonight. Mm -hmm. So I, I felt like I needed to ask you that because I feel like somebody who's listening needs to share your intention for the day. So somebody out there who's maybe been struggling with loneliness or feeling isolated, it's an invitation. It's an invitation for all of us really to enjoy, enjoy our own company today. But also if you're maybe not alone, enjoy whatever the day is bringing you to actually move through the day with a sense of, of appreciation and, um, and maybe even wonder. So, mm -hmm. Catherine, um, you help a lot of people. You help leaders. Uh, do you also help, do you do personal coaching, just life coaching, or you mainly do executive? I do a combination. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I do group coaching. I run a lot of programs, uh, classes, mainly in corporations. Uh, and believe it or not, you know, that you can see the times are changing. I do mindfulness. I do more meditations with them. We're talking a, a lot about, um, you know, especially in corporations, when you're talking about focus, uh, for example, you were talking about focus and I share the, the research that we are bombarded by 2 million bits of information per second via our five senses. And depending on our focus, we capture only 26 bits at a time. So really it is important for us to what we focus on grows and you know, you hear it all the time. It is that important because, uh, you know, when you're talking about uh, working with individuals, it is, it is, it keeps going back to being present, the observer effect, the focus in everything that I do. But it's one of those things that people don't get it until they actually do it. And then they get, they see the benefits and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. So do you feel like, I wanted to ask you, what is, what's the main thing that all of your clients across the board struggle with and how you help them move through that struggle. And maybe this is going to be a repeat of, of what you just shared is the struggle is actually that, that focus or a tuning into what we want to expand. 
So change. So change I find is probably the most common one. Uh, you know, for example, it could be somebody that's in a uh, relationship. Uh, they know it's not a healthy relationship and therefore the fear of leaving that relationship is greater than staying in that relationship. Uh, I see that in a work environment, the fear of leaving a corporation is so much more greater than staying in there. Mm -hmm. So we then, I find change is one of those things that is very common people fear change so when we unpack that what does that look like a lot of the times people there's always a reason why they fear the change you know some people haven't had a lot of change in their life some people have been the same job same marriage for 26 years the smallest bit of change would freak them out uh, so we un we look at what's the fear behind that so a lot of the times it could be loss of friendship loss of money loss of status loss it's always a loss of something so what are you afraid of losing is what I always ask them. And once we can ask, identify the what they're afraid of losing, then we can actually really go, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? What would it look like? So we really start building a new paradigm for them and moving away from the fear. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's really, really valuable. And I know there's a few people listening right now who are currently in the exact situation that you just described, who are currently in the relationship that they're afraid to leave or in the job that they're afraid to leave or both. Um, and I love that you, that you took that to what are you afraid of losing and what's the worst that could happen? And I would, I would dare to add what you said previously, which is what else could it mean or what's the best that could happen? Right? Mm -hmm. And then being willing to, as you said, create a really powerful visualization that defines the details of the best case scenario and that actually invites you into the emotional experience of that best case scenario so that you can attract that towards you. Mm. Absolutely, because the mind can't tell the difference between what is real and what is not real. So when we get stuck in our stories or stuck in whatever that may be, whatever that belief is, we don't see that there, there is a possibility or an opportunity anywhere else. So once you move them away from understanding, okay, this is just a fear, it's false evidence appearing real, it's not even real, it's just a figment of your imagination, then we actually start visualizing what the future could potentially look feel and sound like like really activate all their senses and keep focusing on that visualization and and you can just see the fear dissipate as they start building their new paradigm mm -hmm. so i would love to hear if you have an example to share of a time an anecdote of a time in your life when you really felt like you had effectively manifested something or when you you've used this type of visualization to um call into being something that you desire can you think of a time in your past that you've done a really great yeah. job at manifesting? Yeah, I, I think there's there's been a few. I think, uh, I mean, I'm I'm big on, because of being a visual person, I create vision boards all the time and I still have them and I collect them. Sometimes, occasionally, I'll share them with classes, depends on the group. Uh, but I think that sometimes when I look back and reflect on my, some of the things that I've created, I'm like, oh my God, even sometimes it still slaps me in the face. But I think mm -hmm. that, you know, I have manifested, uh, my beautiful dream home, you know, I'll mm -hmm. call this my sanctuary. Um, I've manifested my beautiful relationship. Uh, but I think it's the, the really important thing for me is there's times that I haven't manifested what I wanted as well. Mm -hmm. And when I have a look at that, it's like, you know, it's really about me wasn't very clear on what I wanted. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so for example, you could you could you could be as as big as you want. I always say, go big, be audacious, and mm-hmm. go big with your goals. But for me, I think that you know I've manifested so many amazing things purely because I have been uh, very clear on my why I want it. Mm. I think if we understand why do I want this, what's the purpose of me having this in my life? Uh, I think that you know that's the trick for me it's and i've been able to uh oh, look i can't i've manifested so many wonderful things i can't think of any particular one but i know that the thing to stand out is definitely my the home that i live in the business that i have uh the and mind you there's been struggles it's been a bumpy road as well to get to where i am mm-hmm. but it's about not giving up too i think sometimes we give up too quickly or too soon or we expect that you know i always look at it this way from a manifestation point of view when it doesn't happen quickly i just i don't go to myself well it's not meant to be i'll just say what are you doing Catherine, to get in the way what is it that you are doing to stop because like i was saying before as soon as you have a thought you're projecting it out you're broadcasting into the universe Mm -hmm. this is what i want but are your feelings aligned with your thoughts Mm -hmm. so are you attracting that very thing or are you attracting oh, well, I'm not worthy of this or self-doubt, you know. So once again, this is when I'm saying you're getting in your way, it's, it's that stuff that gets in the way. Well, and that's the hardest thing, Catherine. So that's where I, you know, I'm, I'm laughing because it's like, yes, and how, and how do we change that? Because even those of us who are really actively doing this as a practice, I future self-journal almost every single night. Um, I'm looking at my vision board right now and I'm, I'm questioning, you know, oh, okay, how did, did I kind of get what I wanted this year out of that? Um, but when we find ourselves embroiled in self-doubt or in feelings of unworthiness or in um, fear, you know, do you have anything to shake us out of that? Because good Lord, I need it. Help me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, for, for example, when it comes in, people normally just, it stops them in their tracks and they do nothing about it. I always say lean in. So, you know, there might be, I always look at, you know, the universal breadcrumbs. There's, there's, there's all follow the yellow brick road. Mm-hmm. It will unfold in front of you as you're, you're taking one step forward. Mm-hmm. But if you're taking a step forward and then you kind of stop, what is that? What's that block? Mm-hmm. And so if it is self-doubt, okay, where does it come from? You know, is this a real, uh, is this really yours or is this your mother's or is it your grandmother's or was this passed on or did someone say something to you at school when you were seven in your imprinting face that made you think that um you're not smart enough you're not good enough Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. once you understand that it's not yours you can let go of it and then you can start creating a new belief so it's helping you move forward but you need to really do the deep work and sometimes people are too afraid to do the deep work because of what may come up Mm but I, I always say that, you know, people want quick fixes these days. They do. They want the quick fixes. I want to I be able to manifest tomorrow. Well, absolutely, you can. But what's, what's your baggage like? What's in your suitcase? Let's unpack that. You know, and that's when, you know, the deep work starts and begins. And it's when you unpack or get rid of their baggage, you don't have the self-doubt. You don't have the, the fears and all of those things that keep creeping up and getting in your way. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty spot on. I'm looking at my vision board for this year and it in big letters, it says, what does power look like? Owning your shit, real women, feeling mission. It's all about, there's a lot of plants and flowers, sexuality, feminine. And this year has been 
has been all of that. And I think it's really important to note that even though it sounds like a lot of work to unpack all your baggage, and it is, that it's, we valorize the end result and we put so much emphasis on getting the thing that we want. But if you don't have the ability to sit in the shit, you won't have the art of presence to appreciate the thing that you currently desire. You won't have the ability to expand your sensory awareness through the lens of appreciation so that you can really be present in pleasure with whatever it is that you receive, the love relationship, the dream home, your sanctuary, talking on that big stage, whatever it is, it'll just be another kind of blip in the radar where you get a dopamine hit and then it's onto the, onto the next, right? And it's that harder, better, faster, stronger. It's that trajectory and that hamster wheel that you're talking about. It's being on that bullet train instead of slowing down. I think that actually keeps so many of us in the perception of dissatisfaction or unhappiness. So mm. I think I think you talked me into it. I think we need to slow down mm. and practice presence and challenge our thinking yeah. and challenge our feelings and really be be willing to be in the journey. And it's one of those cliches that can be kind of annoying, but it's a cliche because it's true that yes. it really isn't the destination. It really is all all of the magic really is in the journey. Absolutely. It is. It's not about the destination. It is about the journey. And you could even ask a simple question as what would get in my way of me achieving this goal? You know, and then you'll, you'll hear whether it's an inner critic that comes up or, you know, or you know, self-doubt, whatever that may be. And then, you know, then that's going to get in your way. The quicker you, you deal with your obstacles, the quicker you will get to your destination. But it is the journey. That is how we get to our destination is the journey. It's the, it's the deep work. I love that. So Catherine, I know that there's people who are listening right now who are falling in love with you and they want um, more. And a little birdie told me when I was checking in on your book club recommendation that you might have some reading material available for us. Can you share with us your your book club selection for this episode? Sure. So my book will be launched on the 30th of October. Uh, it's been picked up. So I started off with self-publishing. It's been picked up by a publisher. Congratulations. And I know. I know. It was. It's, it's been two years in the making. They've had it for a couple of years. So it just did take a long time. Uh, but it is getting to the heart of the matter. It's the no-nonsense guide to personal and professional transformation. It's a workbook. It's not one of those books that you'll read overnight. It's one of those books that you can read um, and work through it. So whether it's health, wealth, happiness, satisfaction, love, whatever that may be, money, it's all in there. There's how-tos, which is really important to me. I think that's one of the things people want to know, how to make these changes. So it's all in there. Um, yeah, and, and you could always pick it up and go back into it, but there's lots of activities in there, uh, lots of things that you can do to reflect and unpack. And um, when we talk about reverse engineering and working your belief system, it's all in there. So Catherine, I know that you are in Australia. We have a lot of listeners in the United States. Do you know if that book is going to be available for distribution in the U.S.? Yes, everywhere. Absolutely. Because awesome. the, um, uh, the Austin McCallie, they're based in New York, uh, London, Australia. So they're everywhere. So it's going to be available on everything on Amazon, you name it. 
Beautiful. So getting to the heart of the matter, no nonsense guide to personal and professional transformation. Is that right? Yes. All right, cool. So you guys can check that out in the show notes. Um, Catherine, you're such a joy to speak with. Thank you for sharing us with us how we can believe in ourselves, um, how we can change our perceptions so that we can change our lives. I would love to invite you to leave our listeners today with just some advice, some words of wisdom, either the best advice you've ever received or, or you know, um, words that have been given to you through your meditation or the divine. How, what would you leave us with today if you just had a few words to change our lives? Oh, Jesus, so many. But I think that for, for me, I think it's really important for us to, uh, we are, connection is important for us. Relationships is important for us. Belonging is important to us. And I think it's really important to always, whatever you do, come from the heart. Mm. It makes such a big difference. You know, I see so many people that uh, either having silly uh, arguments over nothing or you know that whatever that may be but when you come from a place of the heart you actually uh change your perception because i really truly believe that no one goes out of their mind or out of their way to hurt people so i think we if we start bringing a lot more love into our life and less fear um we're going to be much more happier human beings beautiful so for those of you listening today and you're picking up Catherine's practice of setting daily intention maybe your intention today will be to come from the heart and i love that i resonate with that i feel like every big shift in my life and every beautiful connection or collaboration or you know inspirational person like yourself who i get to have the privilege of interviewing it's because i'm just myself and i just practice loving people and i hope they like me and if they don't it's okay but i know that i'm gonna just practice that radical authenticity and just show up and and i'm so grateful to have had this opportunity to connect with you and if people want um more where's the best place for them to find you social media your website where can they find you my website so it's uh of course at katherineplano.com that's it and everything's on there social media there's some freebies uh free courses lots of uh, goodies on there and i write on a regular basis because i love to um it's my way of giving back to the community yeah, she's got a badass blog, so go check it out. And I think you're on Instagram as well if people want yes. to follow. Uh, I am Catherine Plano, is that you? Yeah, it's Catherine Plano. So it's on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Cool. So go connect with Miss Catherine. Um, she's got loads more on neuroscience, quantum physics, epigenetics, emotional intelligence, and how to change yourself so that you can change your life. Catherine, thank you for taking the time to chat today. Thank you so, so very much. It's been an absolute honor. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me on another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. If you love this episode, if it impacted you in some way, please grab a screenshot and share it right now to Instagram stories. Tag Stoked Yogi, hashtag Totally Stoked Podcast. Each week, we'll grab one listener who shared and send you some Stoked Yogi swag. Also, if you love the show, please subscribe, share it with a friend, or head over to iTunes right now and leave us an honest review. Your support and feedback make this show possible. If you have ideas about how we can improve, please send them to podcast at stokedyogi.com. Until next time, you guys, keep showing up, loving people, telling the truth, and remember, keep living your life totally stoked.